0: Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in Daniel chapter three this week. We have been walking through Uh, The book of Daniel, and we've been asking the question, what does it look like for us to have courage in a culture of compromise? For the first two books, or for the first two chapters, we laid our own culture up against the culture that Daniel was having to navigate and walk through, and the similarities are striking. In fact, what we realized that regardless, when culture shifts... And culture always will shift. It will always begin the process of trying to re-identify you. Therefore, you better know who you are and whose you are because culture is more than willing to attempt the process of giving you identity. And only Christ, only God, has the authority and the power and the nature to identify you, to give you marching orders, mission and promise and a plan without compromise. So we don't get our cues. We don't define our next steps. We don't allow culture to identify in us what is important and what we should strive for and the values and the goals and the mission of our lives. And then chapter two, we took a hard look of what Nebuchadnezzar attempted to do in Daniel's life as well as the three others of his friends. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that absolutely rocked his world. It terrified him. And he brought all of the wise men before him with this instruction, interpret my dream, but so that I know that it is accurate, you have to actually tell me what I dreamed. And none of the wise men could do this. So Nebuchadnezzar, he, he decreed that all the wise men must be put to death. But Daniel, he, he stepped up to the mic and he said, Hey, God has given me a vision for what Nebuchadnezzar's dream meant and what it was. And he stood before Nebuchadnezzar and he interpreted it accurately. And he portrayed it accurately. And Nebuchadnezzar, he missed the point though. Because what did he do at the end of chapter 2? He burned incense, and he worshipped he worshiped Daniel. We know that he missed the point because chapter 3 foretells of Nebuchadnezzar building a 90-foot statue. Now, there are a lot of thoughts and a lot of conversations about what exactly the statue entailed. What was the image that Nebuchadnezzar, he constructed? And some people believe because of his narcissistic tendencies, That it was actually a statue of him. But that's not what Scripture tells us. In fact, I believe that what Nebuchadnezzar did, because his desire, which ultimately became his pursuit, his God, in culture was peace. It was unity. Which that ultimately is a good thing. We should all strive for that. We should all try to instill that in our daily lives. But remember what we have learned throughout Scripture when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, that ultimate thing will become a destructive thing. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar found. So, what he said was, You can worship any God you want because we believe in tolerance, we believe in acceptance, we believe in equality. You can choose to worship any God you want, you have that freedom. But what you don't have is the right, the power, the authority, or the position to say that you have the only God, that your God is the only way. Don't you see what is happening? I mean, imagine for a moment, imagine a culture that in an effort to be inclusive, that was always standing on a soapbox, yelling from a bullhorn, unity, peace, tolerance. But we are tolerant as long as you don't say that you have the only way. As long as you say, don't say, that your God is, is, is the only God. I mean, we're not tolerant of that. So Nebuchadnezzar, in an effort to be tolerant, And to position himself and his kingdom as a place of acceptance, of equality, of tolerance, of inclusivity. In order to do that, he actually was a very, very poor example. Because he said, you can do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't push up against what I want. In that understanding, if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 4 of the New Living Translation. We're going to read through verse six. Then a herald shouted out, and people of all races and nations and languages listened to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and the pipes, and other musical instruments, Bow to the ground and worship the King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. The reality that I have come to understand that you know, either knowingly or unknowingly as well, is that we all stand for something. We all stand for something. We all worship something. And it's important that we come to acknowledge and become aware of those things that we are willing to stand for and the things that we are not willing to stand for. Many of you, like myself, found yourself sitting yesterday or last night in the fifth inning of the Braves and Houston game. We were down, when I say we, I mean Atlanta, was down by two. And then back-to-back home runs. And you know what? No longer was I sitting, I was standing, I was cheering, I was celebrating, and yes, I was waking up a sleeping baby. And it was worth it, it was worth it. We all stand for something. And Nebuchadnezzar, because his desire was unity and peace, I believe that he made this image that represented national pride. It was this hybrid merger of all the people's gods, symbolizing diversity for the sake of unity. Come, no matter what you worship, no matter what you stand for, and bow to this. Can you imagine? a nation that would construct a symbol of national pride, of national security, and put it somewhere, let's say, hyperbole in the New York Bay. So that when every immigrant or when every person came to America, they would see this statue standing proud of everything that the nation held of value Freedom, diversity, acceptance. Can you imagine such a nation? In other words, Babylonia is not too far away, is it? We fall to the same things. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that we can't sit back and turn our nose up and say, look at all of those heathens we have a tendency to do much of the same. So Nebuchadnezzar, he constructed the statue and everyone, when they heard the sounds of the music played, they would have to bow down before the God and worship. And if they didn't, they would be thrown into a blazing furnace. So what will you stand for? Who will you worship? Verse 12 But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is Daniel's three friends. We don't see Daniel at all mentioned in chapter three of Daniel. What we believe is that he was away doing the king's business at this time. But we do see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego mentioned. Whom you have put in charge of the providence of Babylon. They pay no attention to you your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. So the wise men, they are playing to Nebuchadnezzar's pride, to his narcissism at this moment, and they're coming saying, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are refusing to bow down. And when your streets are littered with 300,000 people and only three don't bow, Well, that's quite noticeable. So the question that we have to ask and the challenge that I present before you today is if we are going to be courageous in a culture of compromise, we're gonna have to learn to stand in public. We're gonna have to learn to represent well the one true God, the one that instills in us our values that places before us the path that we are called to walk. For far too often and for far too long, I believe that Christians have had a tendency to shy away, to be content in the shadows, to choose not to stand in public. Why? We don't wanna be ostracized, we don't wanna be made fun of. We have believed that tolerance means acceptance and to an extent, yes it does, but it is always within the influence and the values that have been instilled in us by God's word and his providence. But so, culture and society would tell us, don't stand, don't stand in public And we have to make that decision. Are we willing to stand in public forums for a God that we love and for a God that we trust and for a God we proclaim? Yes, your relationship with Jesus is a personal relationship. But this movement that you are called to be a part of was never meant to be private. It was always meant to be public. We have lost That desire and that call and that mandate and that honor that the disciples were known of in Acts, when scripture says, oh, here they come, the disciples. Everywhere they go, they turn the city upside down. Are you willing to stand in public? Verse 13 Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue I have made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will rescue you from my power? Which brings me to point number two. If we are gonna be courageous in a culture of compromise, we have to stand when we are pressured. I'll never forget when I was 16 years old, I got a phone call from my friends who wanted me to attend a party with them. Now, I wasn't, that's right, amen. That's right, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to be drinking and I wasn't going to be doing anything, but I knew that my parents wouldn't let me go to the party. And I told them, I was like, I would love to, but I, I know that I'm not going to be able to go. I'm not even going to ask. And my friend, he said, well, then don't, don't ask. Tell him that you're going to come over and you're gonna stay at our house and you know, we're gonna play you know, some ball and stuff like that, but don't tell him you're going to the party. And I, I felt that peer pressure and I had to make a decision in that moment. Am I gonna stand for what I know is right and what I know is true and what I know is God honoring? Or am I going to bow down in front of the peer pressure? So you know what I did? I lied to my dad. I lied to my dad. This was before the age of cell phones. This was the day of cordless phones. And what I did not realize about my dad's strategy, I always thought he had like a direct line to God's voice because he always caught me doing everything mischievous. Everything I ever did wrong, he knows about, not because I confessed it, but because he was there and he caught me. And what I came to realize, that my dad would sit in the garage with a police scanner and he knew the frequency of our cordless phone and he would listen to my phone calls while just sitting in his garage. So therefore, I showed up at the party and I kid you not, I came, strut- I parked across the street, I came strutting across that road and my dad just pulled right up in front of me, rolled down the wind and said, get in. No joke. (laughs) All that to say, (laughs) my heart was broken for a number of reasons. One, I got caught. Two, I knew I had disappointed my dad. And as I got older, I realized that I had compromised my values, what I knew to be right and what I knew to be true and what I knew to be God-honoring. How much more should it break our hearts when we are deliberately disobedient When we bow to the peer pressure or we bow to the pressure of persecution, so therefore we we bow and we don't do what God has commanded or what God has instructed. We have to stand when we are pressured. Verse 21 So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire, the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Do you see what is being portrayed here? Nebuchadnezzar, in his anger, he demanded that the furnace be turned up seven times hotter than what was usual or what was normal To the point that when the soldiers brought the three men to the flames, when they opened it up, it actually caught them on fire and burned them alive. Which brings us to point number three. If we are going to have courage in a culture of compromise, we have to stand when we are persecuted. We have to stand firm and courageous in the fear of persecution. Now it's important for us to know that sometimes when we feel persecuted, it is God's desire and God's design, and he is actually refining us in this process. He is actually growing us in our faith. He is actually going to use the storms and the circumstances and the condition of our lives, the persecution that we are facing, in a way that will advance his gospel here on earth for his honor. In other words, God will never waste our pain. And then sometimes the persecution that we face, is self, it's, it's self-inflicted, we, we're not being wise. We're not being good stewards of our resources or the influence that God has given us. And then sometimes we face persecution completely out of our control, we're doing everything right. We just find ourselves in the midst of it. And even in the midst of persecution, we are called to stand firm for the sake of the gospel here on earth. Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisers, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. But look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth, the fourth looks like the son of God. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego." Servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Now, if I was Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and I'd been thrown into the fire, and when I was thrown into the fire, the heat was so hot that the, cap- the captures, my, the guards, they actually caught on fire. You know what I would have done when Nebuchadnezzar was yelling at me? I'd have whispered. Draw close, you know, come here. I got got a secret to tell you, you know. But not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is why I've probably not been thrown into a fire. They stepped out of the fire, and then the high officers and officials and the governors and the advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. These jokers didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. You see, they defiled the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship a god except for their god. So Nebuchadnezzar, you see throughout chapter one, throughout chapter two, and throughout chapter three, his journey of faith, how he is discovering the God of Daniel, how Daniel and his friends are using their influence in a way to bring gospel purposes, plans, and promises. But he's not quite there. He's still got a few steps in front of him. He's not entirely sanctified. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. Therefore, I make a decree If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God, little g though, who can rescue like this. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging their God through their influence, but he yet has come to the place that there is only one true God. Friends, we will face trials. We will face fiery furnaces in our life. Some of you right here, right now, you are in the middle of it. You are feeling persecuted. You are feeling pressured. You are feeling the desire to retreat, to isolate or to assimilate. But there is another way. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, speaking of you and I, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. One scholar said this in regard to the flames and the furnaces that we face in life. We can be delivered from the fire and our faith, our faith will be built. We can be delivered through the fire and our faith will be refined or we can be delivered by the fire and our faith will be perfected. Timothy would say it like this in chapter four of his second book, verse 18. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. As we are reading through Daniel chapter three, I actually left the best part of the story out. And you may say, no, you told the story. They got thrown into the fire and they they were delivered. They were walking around. Verse 16 through 18 actually has a lot to reveal in our own hearts and in our own lives. In response to Nebuchadnezzar's threat of being thrown into the fire, if you don't bow, if you continue to stand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend, we're not gonna argue ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able, he is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power and your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you We will never serve your God, and we will never worship the statue that you have set up. Which brings us to point four. In conclusion, we stand regardless. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's perspective, which is proper and right. God has the power to deliver me from the diagnosis. God has the power to spare me from the grief. God has the power to bring me through the valley. God has the power to save my job. God has the power to make them return, to make them do better. God has the power to not allow me to go through this fire. God has the power to deliver me from this addiction. God has the power to restore this relationship. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And he's still good. And he is still able. And I will not fall to the pressure or to the persecution or to the troubles or to the woes or to the self-agenda, we stand regardless. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 47, says, when Jesus is talking about his day of drawing close, of his day of deliverance, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, they dragged it up to the shore they sat down and they sorted the good fish into crates but threw the bad ones away and that is the way it will end this world the angels will come and they will separate the wicked people from the righteous throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth do you understand these things As Jesus prayed in the garden, Scripture tells us that he prayed, God, this cup that I hold that is about to pass by my lips, if it can do so and I not drink of it, I choose that. I want that. I desire that. I pray that. But if it is your will that I drink of this cup, Your will be done and not mine. And scripture indicates that as he prayed this prayer, he was sweating. Why? Could it be that he was drawing close in that moment to the fiery furnace in which he would enter into on our behalf so that for all who believe and place their faith in him and him alone, who refused to bow in a culture of compromise? Jesus joyfully, humbly, gladly steps into the furnace on your behalf and on my behalf so that we can experience eternity with Him. The beauty of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace is that we will face a fiery furnace. Some of you are coming out of a fiery furnace and some of you are about to enter into it or you're standing right in the middle of it, but you are not alone. Yeah, celebrate that. The sufficient, the good, the great, the loving Father, He is right there in the middle with you. So, what may come and what may, it doesn't matter. We stand regardless because of the sufficiency, the grace, and the mercies of a good God. So, how do we stand courageous in a culture of compromise? We worship, we pray. We proclaim, we influence, we advance, we evangelize, we love, we visit, we bring water to the thirsty and clothing to the naked. We meet the needs of our community with the purpose of advancing the gospel here on earth. In other words, in a culture, In which everyone seems to be bowing, we stand. What will you stand for? We all stand for something. What will you stand for? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, we recognize your goodness, your grace, your sufficiency. And Father, we pray in this moment that your perfect will be done, that you will speak to our lives and our hearts. And the Father, your business can be accomplished here and now in your strong, precious, sufficient name we pray and all God's people say, amen. Would you stand to your feet as we close in worship together? Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesley.com.